Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, guys. Hey, Jenna. Hi, Blythe. Hey. Hey, guys. Blythe, it is such a joy to see you. Stop. I'm smiling. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't have videoed just so you wouldn't have to see us smiling at you. I know. I miss you. And I miss you, Beth, even though I've never met you before. Same. I miss what I don't know. Okay, Blythe, do you mind giving a little intro of yourself? Sure. So my name's Blythe. I have the privilege of being a writer for Blessed Is She, which I love. I have a husband. We've been married for 13 years, and we have eight kids. And their ages are 11 to four months old, our baby. And I haven't figured that math out yet, but somehow they've all... (laughs) been born they've all come out of you (laughs) yeah somehow one at a time anyway so we live in ventura county like in 45 minutes north of la and my husband and i are both converts and that's i guess the little quickie quick that was a great intro blythe i noticed your scapular can you tell me about it i just got enrolled in the scapular what does that mean tell me what that means okay The scapular of Mount Carmel is a devotion, a particular devotion to Our Lady, where you are enrolled. A priest has to enroll you. I didn't know this, so I think this is good to know because I had a few friends that were wearing scapulars but were not enrolled in the scapular. And it comes with these beautiful blessings, including the Sabbatine privilege, which everyone should just go look up. Anyway, Our Lady appeared to St. Simon Stock and told him that she wanted people to be devoted to her by wearing the scapular which is actually a little piece of brown wool that is like a part of the Carmelite habit so it's a way of extending the Carmelite vocation out through the world and sort of cloaking everybody in Mary's mantle so um, I hadn't been enrolled and I had wanted to for a long long time and my awesome spiritual director and or one of the many people that give me spiritual direction. I need a lot. I asked him about it and he was like, oh, I'll totally enroll you. And so it was really cool. One of my sons had not been enrolled yet. Two of my older girls had through their first communion. So I told a few friends. And then when we turned up that day, I was thinking it would just be my son, Johnny and myself and maybe a friend or two. There's like 20 people that ended up coming through word of mouth. So we had this really cool, it was just like a 10 minute thing, but it just felt like this beautiful, personal, I don't know, sort of ritual that we all got to share together one day. So That's awesome. I have like a really random question for you also. Yeah. I feel like you love these special devotions to the church. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I do. I know you're involved in a lot of community life, like you're really devoted to the church. And I'm just curious. Did you do that as a Protestant? Like, were you like super in it like this and just soaked up everything and read everything you could? And like, how did, did that, well, did that translate the same? Or is it just because the church has this like deep well that you just keep on yeah, covering? No, I don't think, I mean, I thought, I think it was a faithful Protestant for sure. And I was involved in as much as I could be. Like I was a youth ministry leader. Um, but I think it's mostly just the fact that I feel like I guess deprivation is not the right word. I wasn't deprived of God because God was always 
you know, he was still with me and still my savior and still my father while I was Protestant. But there's something about stumbling upon the well, like you said, of the faith that I just want. I wanted all of it, you know, and, and it's not fair to say that I like read everything, you know, I, there's so much that I lack for sure. But I think especially devotions, Marian devotions or, um, you know, learning about her apparitions or insane miracles, like Eucharistic miracles, those things always were such a, I feel like I just couldn't get enough of them once we became Catholic because it was all just evidence of the richness and the reality of our faith that I had missed out on for so many years. So I think that really does have a lot to do with it. It's not old hat to me, you know, it's all feels really new and beautiful. Yeah, Beth's a lot like that too. You like a lot of stuff. I like a lot of stuff, yeah. I like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I get on board with stuff. Like I find out about a devotion, I want to read all about that or... Yeah, I'm not as good as that. I feel like there's just a few things that have really struck me, like Miraculous Metal is something that seemed really clearly Our Lady saying, please, please, please do this. Yes. And so many popes were enrolled in the scapular and really promoted it as a very, very important devotion to Our Lady. So I, I almost feel like that you maybe could say there are a hierarchy of devotions, you know? I don't think any one of them mean more than the other, but I think there are probably a few that seem pretty clear, like the rosary, you know, like... Okay, this is something we should all probably be doing. Yeah. I mean, not not probably, we should all be doing it, you know. Whereas other devotions might feel a little more personal, like some people can really apply to them and others not so much or whatever. I'm glad you asked about the scapular. I was just at Mass at a different parish this weekend, and they're having a special enrollment, like blessing in Mass, and they're offering scapulars. And I was like, well, wasn't Mount Carmel like, it was a week ago? was last monday yeah okay. so i wonder why it just came up again is that the day Here's you did the, the enrollment okay but let me tell you two weeks before the feast of our lady of mount carmel was the day that i brought up to my i i see him every monday so it was three mondays ago in the confessional that i brought up that i wanted to be enrolled in the scapular and i even asked him like should i just go to my parish priest what should i do i wasn't expecting at all for him to schedule this thing and he was like no 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 let's do it in, in two weeks we should do it and neither of us were aware that two weeks, the day was the Feast of Our Lady of Mount No! So cool. Isn't that crazy? I found out like a week later, and he hadn't realized either. So the enrollment, we got to do it on that day, but it was not planned. Wow. How crazy. You should do it, Beth. Okay, I think I am going to do it. Do it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my mom. We have some stuff going on in my family. I felt very strongly that the only way through this is mm-hmm. Our Lady. And I was in the chapel, and I was just looking at this beautiful image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And strangely, I wanted to pray Mary Undura of Knott's Novena. So I told mm-hmm. my mom, and she was like, well, let's do it right now. Like, we were on the phone. Let's start. And I said, no, I think we're supposed to start tomorrow. I can't explain that. And I went to Mass the next morning, and it was Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I was like, well, that's cool. Oh my god! Yeah, I love that. Isn't yeah, that such cool. confirmation that she's right here? Yeah, and she's sort of saying like, I, I mean, I feel like you know, as a mom, there are these moments I encounter where I see my kids on the verge of doing what I want them to do, and I don't want to jump in the middle of what they're doing and like you know control them, but I want to nudge them, just get them over the hump, and I feel like Our Lady is doing that so often with me. Like, she just sees me right there, and she loves my freedom, and she wants me to choose to love her, but she still is, like, a good mom, and so she's kind of just like, yeah, that's the way, keep moving in that direction, you know? 
That's like the best explanation of Mary's intercession I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. All right. Well, I think we should do it. It's really, I think, so beautiful. The enrollment was really beautiful. And your girls did it in communion preparation? Okay. So my eldest daughter went through a homeschool group for her first communion. And yeah, they just did it. It was just this cool thing that like the parents didn't even know about it. Just at the end of the mass, the priest enrolled all the kids, which is really lovely. And so I had planned on one of my other's daughters doing it with me, but she was at summer camp the week before and they, the priest of the summer camp enrolled all the kids that wanted to be home. So she got taken care of. So I feel like one by one, God's sort of knocking down our family in this devotion. And I think it's pretty obvious that we just all need to be enrolled. Yeah, sounds like a thing. I think it's a thing. And after you receive your scapular, you can replace it with a medal. There's like a scapular medal. If you'd rather wear the little medal. The fact that this came up for you recently in mass and now we're talking about it makes me feel like this is like Mary nudging you. I know. Here's your little nudge, Beth. Nudge, nudge. Mm Mm-hmm. The Saints this are random stalkers. podcast. Yeah. My scapula hanging out of my shirt. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so I am so curious how both of your prayer lives are right now. So before I had gone on this most recent five-day retreat I did, my spiritual director had really kind of given me this beautiful, gentle little correction and kind of suggested that I might be working too hard in prayer and that I just needed to go and receive more just go to mass and be in the presence, the true presence of Jesus and receive healing in the Eucharist. And so I've really taken like a backseat in my prayer, which is very different for me and not totally comfortable. I'm used to feeling much more connected and having kind of an encouraging word or a prominent image, like right at my fingertips all the time. Yep. And I'm very much in like a kind of sit back and receive place. Okay, so you're saying, like, just being able to receive God's love in prayer is something that is not easy for you. Yeah, I think I'm more of a, the posture I feel more comfortable with in prayer would be working on something. Like, okay, Lord, here's this thing. Let's deal with this. Let's correct my behavior. You know, I need healing in this area, discernment over a decision or whatever. But really, all my prayer is the past few weeks has just been, like, me in the arms of the Lord. Like I'm going to start crying, not talking, not asking anything, just being in his arms. That's so beautiful. That's a really heroic way to pray. It does not feel like that. It feels very unproductive. Okay. But that is our human, that's like our humanity, right? Saying that we have to measure who we are by what we do. And I think that that's a huge spiritual maturity to be able to reject that, even if you don't like the way it feels and just say, I'm just going to let you love me, which is all God wants to do. It just seems like a real beautiful, supernatural outlook that you've sort of accomplished. Thanks. So yeah. Good job. I have a great spiritual director, a couple so of them awesome. working on my behalf. So awesome. <laughs> I, I know. love it. Um, and what about you? Anything good in prayer? Um, I feel like my prayer life is just struggle. I'm trying to learn that that is good. I I try to sit down for some time every morning and every afternoon of sort of just like quiet mental prayer. And most of the time it's interrupted or I'm distracted or somebody is coming to me with a problem. I think when I first started trying to incorporate these times of prayer into my daily schedule, it felt like... I was assaulted by life and Mm. what I needed to do was pray and how dare life come and interrupt my prayer. 
But again, through the work of so many holy people in my life, learning to get up and start again, first of all, no matter what, you know, and not be discouraged and not feel like I failed at prayer because that is not what God is asking of me. And also to respond to every need that comes flying at me while I'm praying as sort of Jesus coming at me from another angle, you know, like if someone like shows up with like a bloody nose or a diaper that needs changing, then really in that moment, the prayerful response is to turn that into my prayer, you know, just to go about caring for my children or dealing with conflicts or whatever, and, and really allowing them to hit me and accepting them gracefully and and being able to have the ability to look at whatever situation is disrupting me and say, oh, God, like, here you are now. You're not asking me to sit silently and bathe in your love <laughs> in this way. You're asking me to bathe in your love by getting on the floor and, like, dealing with this problem or whatever. And so I think every day that's sort of my struggle is learning how to accept that prayer with the right intention can be a lot of things. And that being loved by God, just like you said, is the goal of prayer, is just a union with Him and conversation with our Lord, like a friend, like a father. Even if it's being able to say, ah, somebody interrupted me again, this is so frustrating, but to like laugh at that and then offer that to God at the same time. I realize that if I weren't struggling to pray, that I think I would just throw everything out the window. I think I do that with a lot of things in life. Like if I feel like I can't get it done right, I tend to just throw it away and just, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And that's a real part of my personality I'm trying hard to conquer in my actual physical life and in my interior life, that when I can't pray or if I don't feel like I can pray well or I can't pray right, then that struggle itself is like a beautiful thing and that God is so happy to see me struggling and picking up and starting again and not giving up or being discouraged. Wow, that was beautiful. You're making me feel, I mean, you're just helping me realize I have a long way to go in the spiritual life. Life. Oh my gosh, no, every day. Every day, the road is long. You mentioned every Monday that you meet with someone. Is that a regular confessor or is that spiritual direction weekly? So I have a regular confessor that I see on Mondays. And then I see a single lay person. She's a celibate member of Opus Dei. I'm a member of Opus Dei. So part of our vocation to Opus Dei are these certain habits or practices. And one of them is weekly confession, if possible, and bi-monthly spiritual direction. But I still find that when I'm in the confessional, I'll do spiritual direction. It's not limited to just my talks with the woman that I meet with. After confession, the priest always says, you know, now what, or what do you want to talk to me about? So I always find that I'm working things out in the confessional, and then I'm bringing those things to my conversation with the woman giving me spiritual direction, and we're hashing them out, and it seems like it's sort of a relationship. But yeah, every week at least there's something, and then but every other week is with the director. That's so cool. It's a brilliant way to approach the spiritual life, because first of all, you're bringing lots of people in objectively, yep. lots of access to the grace of the sacraments, and the... Yep you know, presence of Jesus, but also the regularity of it yes. just keeps it all at the front of your mind. So your relationship with the Lord becomes like any other relationship in your life that it yeah. has constant attention. New things are always coming up, but you're always kind yeah. of working on it. And I think when I was first introduced to the spiritual practices of Opus Dei, I was really intimidated because it seems rigorous, like daily mass and reading the gospel and confession and, you know, a daily examination of conscience and all these little things. 
And I looked at it like, oh my gosh, how could they be asking so much of regular everyday people? Which is what this vocation is all about. It's just being a saint in the middle of the world. St. Jose Maria Escriva just said, listen, there needs to be a way for every person at their desk or in their kitchen or wherever they are to become a saint. If you're not called to the priesthood, if you're not called to the religious life, there's still a path to sainthood. And so when I first was introduced to this concept, I thought, oh, it must just be the system of checking, you know, checking off all these things that I'm doing every day. But that's not really what they are at all. It's exactly what you said. You know, it's like, okay, listen, if if we're going to really struggle in this life for holiness, here's just a way to do it. You know, if you're struggling to get to daily mass, if you're struggling to say your morning offering, if you're struggling to get to confession every week, then you really can't veer too far off course because you're constantly checking in. And it's, it's like scaffolding in a way, you know, like the structure of prayer holds up what you're trying to accomplish on the inside. So, you know, it's not accomplishing prayer or accomplishing going to mass. That's not it at all. It's just a way to support the inner workings of your soul and always to be always chipping away at these little details of life that um, we need to improve on. Did you and Kirby, your husband, both come to that conclusion at the same time? Or, or no. were, was one of you kind of like, hey, I want to start doing this and it took the other one a bit of time to... So Kendra Tierney, when we first came into the church, they were some of the first friends that we met, the Tierneys. And they were just seeing a priest of Opus Dei for confession. And the reality of where we were at was that we were we're newly Catholics and our church was not, I mean, it was fine, but the priest was not the greatest in the confessional, which is just an unfortunate reality. And so I hadn't had an experience that felt like truly incredible. Although I say that with, obviously take that with a major grain of salt because we still have the sacrament and it is valid and reconciliation is you know, all that our souls need, but no, like, you know, nothing more than just the absolution and penance sometimes. So anyway, Kendra introduced me to a priest of Opus Dei for confession. And when I went to see him, it was the first time in the confessional that I just felt like I laid my soul out on the table and a priest saw it for what it was and told me everything I needed to hear. And so around the same time, Kirby and I both started seeing Opus Dei Priest for confession, but I felt like for sure this is not my vocation. There's no way. And Kirby felt the same for years. We were just like, that's definitely like we benefit from these priests. And we had gone on maybe a few retreats that they gave. And then, you know, slowly after that, we started showing up to these mini retreats called Evenings of Recollection that happen monthly in areas near centers of Opus Dei. And I actually think other places like there's an Opus Dei priest that flies to phoenix and flies to vegas once every few months and gives a recollection cool. which is which is just like an evening for women where there's a few meditations and time for confession and exposition and benediction and you just can kind of have a little two-hour retreat anyway the more i encounter these priests the more i just especially as a convert like they're doctrinally completely solid and every experience in the confessional felt so truly life-giving but i still felt like for sure no vocation for me and then like five years ago, Kirby popped up and was like, I have a vocation of this day. I got to do this. And I still thought for sure, like, that's really cool that that's your thing, but that's definitely not my thing. And he was, they're called supernumeraries. It's a married member of Opus Day or a non-celibate member of Opus Day. 
And so he was a supernumerary for four years until I realized I had a vocation too. So now we both are members of Opus Day. But anyway, circling back around to your very specific question, no, we did not come to it at the same time. <laughs> Tell me what you mean when you say that you discerned that it was your vocation. Okay. So I, I love fear of Opus Day so much. The more I got to know it, the more I love, I love this concept, right? Of just like, there has to be a path for the everyday person. You know, when I was a Protestant, there was youth group for junior high and youth group for high school. And then there was formation for young adults and young marrieds. And there, were, there was all this structure available to help people through their spiritual life. And granted, it was lacking because it didn't. We didn't have the sacraments, but there was still something really, really essential about this. Like, okay, we're gonna just be here for you when you're a kid, and then we're gonna be here for you when you're a teenager, and yeah. so on and so forth. And thanks be to God, we came into the church, you know, as adults, and we had full knowledge of what we were doing. But it was a bizarre transition to walk into our first parish and just have the mass. And of course, the mass is all we need we're going to be fine if we just have the mass but i really longed for someone who would say oh you're really trying to struggle at like organization or like practical stuff you know like prayer or how to be more gentle with your kids or whatever here are some practical ways to like start chipping at these edges in your life beyond the mass so before i even considered myself to have a vocation to opus day i really fell in love with what opus day gave me because I could go to Mass on Sunday, but I wasn't always guaranteed a homily that was theological or deep. But I could always go to my confessor. I could always go to one of these evenings of recollection. There were other things happening in the area like doctrine classes and workshops for young moms and all this formation that was always available. And so I was so hungry for it. And the more that I consumed it, the more I thought, I'm already kind of living this life. Why don't I consider this to be something that I'm really going to give myself to and receive all the blessings that I can receive by having more formation available to me? And, and not only that, just I want this. Like I want, I want to really evangelize the world and I want to align myself with this structure that's saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. Like we're really going to evangelize the world. And, and so I think that was part of my discernment process. Like if I love this so much, but I'm still keeping like a little bit of an arm's length and there's no commitment here, I can like love it and love it and grow, but I'm not really giving myself to it. And then I just think the Holy Spirit just tipped me over the edge, you know, and I wanted, I wanted all of it. So then I said, sign me up and I got signed up. So what's involved in that? Is it like the scapular? Is it an enrollment? Are they promises that you make? There's no vows or anything like that. There is a lot of doctrinal formation. If you join, there's six months of doctrinal classes. So everyone in Obese is really, really sincerely well-formed and has great devotion to the Holy Father and the church, which I love. I love that they were so utterly devoted to the church and to the Holy Father. And just like, we are here, we came out of the church and we're here to serve the church. It felt, it felt so utterly, utterly Catholic. So the preparation for that, yeah, is a lot of doctrinal formation and then just sort of making a promise to live these as best as I can to live these sort of structures of prayer in my life and to really devote myself to them. 
and to devote myself to this family that is Opus Day and be available for ministry and for whatever I can be. It's simple. It's I mean, all I ever knew of Opus Day was that Dan Brown book or whatever. Right, like, the Vinci Code. Crazy priest that like whipped his back into bloody shreds and stuff. But it's really so simple. I think the simplicity almost makes people feel like there has to be something else. But oh, not. I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like so basic, what else is there? Like, well, what really yeah. are you doing? Yeah. But it's mostly just really searching the Holy Spirit and saying, do you want this for my life? Do you want me to really devote my life to this means of formation and transforming the every day? You know, the whole heart of it is everything is prayer. So when I'm standing at my dishwasher loading it, how can I how can I learn to grasp this beautiful, amazing concept that every ounce of work can be turned into prayer and become supernatural through um, a right mindset? So that's my daily struggle. And I'm grateful it's my daily struggle, and it wouldn't be my daily struggle if I didn't have this beautiful formation from Opus Dei. I think the transformative power of this concept is for everybody, right? Like, you don't have to go special night of prayer. You don't have to have something in your area that's offering you classes. It's just our faith that tells us every day, like, look, this life is not meant to be lived in vain. It's meant to be lived fully. And by living our life fully, everything becomes transformed. Everything is supernatural and everything is a way, you know, is like a little road to Christ. I think what's so attractive about what you're sharing, Blythe, is that you're saying there is a way to be a saint and not be in the religious life. Like there is a path for the everyday person with a job in the secular world, at home with your kids, that there's a way. And to me, I think what draws me about what you're sharing is the connectedness to the church and that routine of prayer, that the spiritual guidance. I mean, it, it offers so many of the things that we need in our daily lives to keep us rooted. And I think in a way, God knew what the modern church would need, because this is a really modern concept. You know, this is the first personal prelature to ever exist in the church, which is sort of like a borderless diocese. There is a head, there's a prelate, you know, there's structure, there's hierarchy, there's centers, there's laity, there's celibate members, there's married members, there's priests, but they could be anywhere in the world. And I think that that is so essential to modern Catholicism And granted, I'm speaking as like a baby Catholic, essentially, but I feel like the religious life is just not as accessible anymore. Like nuns are not teaching our children in schools. Priests are administrators. They're busy. They can't even do baptisms sometimes unless you schedule it three months in advance and have all this documentation. And and I don't think that's bad. I just think it's where the church is now. And so I think to have this other thing that's deeply embedded in the church, not separate from the church, but a part of, you know, latched onto its mother, essentially, but saying, hey, listen, what we can do is have sound, solid doctrine and to go everywhere and to offer it to anybody on a Tuesday, on a Monday, on a Wednesday, apart from the, the parish priest who is really busy doing a lot of other stuff. But again, like regardless of anyone's vocation or availability, the point is that we're living this Christian life now. As much as I would love to sit in a beautiful chapel for half the day or to read volumes and volumes of theology, like I have to do the dishes and I have to do my laundry. And what this does is transforms our concept of 
the reality that we're facing and turns it into something supernatural and life-giving. I can love Jesus in my laundry and I can love him in my dishes. And that's what he's given me. And that's what he wants from me. So instead of begrudging the life that I'm living, I can embrace the life that I'm living and turn it all into prayer. And we can all do that, you know? So good. I can love Jesus in my laundry, but I I won't love Jesus in my dishes. (laughs) (laughs) I seldom love Jesus in my dishes, I I should say. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Something that I actually heard today that I thought about for this podcast in my little spiritual direction time was that we ought to, as Christian brothers and sisters, love everything the church offers for people, like every vocation every special niche, super theological, cerebral groups, really charismatic groups, really service-oriented groups. The church is so good and so big and souls are so vast and so different that there should be this many things for everybody. And we should really love that about every different type of vocation that we could find in the church. And so as somebody that feels like I have solidly landed on my vocation, I love being able to look out and say there are so many really good things. And what we should all be doing is just doing them really, really well. I love that. That is so awesome. Jess Connolly is someone that I really love. I follow her on Instagram. And she was just talking about something kind of similar to that in in the sense of just talking about like social justice stuff Mm. in terms of what really pulls on each one of our heartstrings is going to be totally different each one of us has a different empathetic heart towards something or compassionate heart towards something. And that's all important. That one thing that we feel passionately about, go be passionate about that. And and Beth's going to feel passionately about something else. And, and so I love that you said that it kind of reminded me of what she was saying, just about social justice issues or political issues or things Mm -hmm. like that. Like you said, we're not me, Jenna Gizar, I'm not for everything or for everyone, but there's something that the Lord has specifically given to me to care for and to nurture. And yeah, so I think that's beautiful to really look out into the church and the vastness of the church and say, all of this is good. Yeah. And all of us are just working on what it is that the Lord said on us. Yeah. Like which expression really captures my heart. Yeah. And doesn't it just speak to the generosity of God that he's just like, I love you all in all your different ways. So this one big church that is your mother is going to just take care of all of it. There's going to be some way to meet you all and to turn you all into saints. That's awesome. And I think it's really tangible. You know, I think if it weren't tangible for us, then what would it say about God? You know, like Mm. if, if all he wants is us with him forever, then of course it makes sense that he would throw us a bone or a lot of bones. And I think he really has, obviously. Blythe, I'm so glad you're Catholic. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're friends. And I'm so glad we had this conversation. Blythe, do you want to pray? I would love that, Blythe. Sure. I would love it. Hey, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for calling us your children and loving us so deeply. (laughs) Thank you for all the little interruptions in life help us to see how clearly they lead back to you amen it's amazing the perfect closing prayer for this podcast so good all right we love you Blythe thank you so much love you guys love you see ya bye thanks so much for gathering with us here on the blessed is she podcast send over all your questions using the anchor app we'd love to hear from you 
Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.